This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. President Trump has announced a plan that he hopes will be able to slow down the growth of the price of prescription drugs. He also hopes that this plan will help start to take some of the sting out of those increases. The program called American Patients First. It has many ideas behind it, which include the sharing of Medicare Part D profits with the public. But it doesn't include an idea that Trump had talked about before, which is government negotiating drug prices on behalf of the program. To discuss the ideas brought forth by the president, we are joined in studio by Mark Pauley, who's professor of healthcare management and professor of business economics and public policy here at the Wharton School. And also with us is Rob Field, professor of law and professor of health management and policy at Drexel University here in Philadelphia, as well as a lecturer in healthcare management at the Wharton School. Gentlemen, great to see you. Thank you for coming in today. Morning. Thank you. So uh, give us your reaction to what the president said, Mark. Well, it's, uh, uh, I, think it, I think it will have a short-term effect. Uh, I think uh, you'll see kind of the carrier corporation story. Some uh, drug companies uh, will um, reduce the prices of some of their high-priced products uh, just to go with the program. Um, and uh, maybe Novartis, which is kind of in the doghouse at the moment, yeah. might do that, uh, or some others. Uh, but I but I think the uh, uh, it's hard to tell because there's a lot more huffing and puffing in the announcement and in the statement from Alex Azar, the secretary of HHS, than in the substance of it. Uh, but I think the long-term effects are unlikely to, uh, to be very large on overall drug prices. And, um, and then I guess the other thing to say is I think part of the reason for that is, as is so often the case in healthcare, we're not quite sure what we should wish for. And well, uh, um, I I don't know whether drug prices are too high or not, but I do know for certain that nobody else does either. And so that kind of lends some caution to the idea that uh, the, the most important thing is to get drug prices down. Uh, there are uh, potential consequences of that that people should worry about as well. Rob? Yeah, I, I agree there might be sort of a publicity bounce where some companies decide to do something for the media uh, to say, look, we, uh, we're repentant and, and we're going to uh, change our ways. Uh, but in, in the long run, I don't see anything here that's going to make a huge difference. I also don't see the there there. Uh, it, it's a yeah. lot of general ideas, uh, some of which require legislation, uh, some of which regulations, and some of which just require details. Uh, for instance, how are we going to get our allies to pay more for their drugs? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, of course, what difference would it make if we did? Well, and you bring up an interesting point, is that this is not just a concern by many uh, of the U.S. drug companies, but this is a global perspective uh, of companies that are overseas as well. Right. Um, so Trump is correct that they pay lower prices than we do, and the companies rely on the U.S. markets and U.S. Uh, profits uh, to get their rate of return. But they have a very comfortable rate of return. Uh, it's generally in the range of 20 percent. It's generally among the top uh, of any industry uh, in the country. Um, so it's not clear that they're paying too little. Uh, it may just be we're paying too much. And if we get them to pay more, uh, that might just be more drug company profits. I mean, they, they don't charge less than the cost of supplying the drugs. The drug right. companies are making a profit everywhere in the world that they sell their products. Um, so uh, while it's a global issue, uh, 
part of the problem is we just don't have the tools to handle it. Mark? I think I think Rob actually has mentioned what I think is probably the, potentially the most meaningful part of the proposals, which is to uh, essentially engage in trade negotiations with other countries. It's yeah. a little ironic. Usually when we negotiate with other countries, we try to keep them from imposing tariffs on our products that make our products prices high. Yeah. In this case, it's the mirror image. We're going to engage in negotiating with them so it's to stop them from forcing U.S. prices to be low and raise U.S. prices. But uh, at least according to economic theory of monopoly pricing, if you can get the Portuguese to pay more for a drug than they are now paying, drug companies won't turn around and charge Americans less. They'll charge whatever is the mo sure. monopoly profit-maximizing price in the U.S. The, but there will be a consequence. This is, again, be careful what you wish for. The consequence would be higher profits for American drug companies. And although they make generous profits uh, on average, at the margin, they invest uh, only if they think they can make money on a what is often a very uncertain new product. Right. So if you allow them to uh, expect greater profits if they hit the jackpot, they're going to do more investing in jackpot-hitting things, which means more new products will come out. Hopefully, they're better products than yeah. the old ones, but they're not going to lower total spending because people will buy them in the U.S. and worldwide. So we'll be healthier but not wealthier uh, if that particular uh, thing goes through. Rob? Um, I, I think Trump was also correct in pointing his finger at the pharmaceutical, uh, pharmaceutical benefit mm -hmm. manager industry yeah. and at the supply train, which, which does bear a lot of the responsibility for the high prices. One of the potentially most effective pieces of this, which was announced by Scott Gottlieb, the FDA commissioner, before Trump made his talk, uh, was to be more vigilant about policing the rebates. Uh, the way these yeah. companies work is they contract with an insurance company to presumably get them a good deal on drugs. They go to the drug company and get uh, rebates based uh, on the on the price and on the volume of, of what's sold, but don't necessarily pass them along mm -hmm. to the drug companies or, or the consumer. Yeah, it's kind of a uh, – uh, um, depends on who you are. So uh, if if the rebates, uh, as have been proposed, were returned to consumers, the people who at the moment were consuming those drugs would be paying less out-of-pocket sure. and that yeah. would be good. Uh, you could believe, uh, and there's some evidence that it's true, but probably not 100 percent, but at least the rebates that go to the PBMs result in their charging lower prices, uh, at least when Penn negotiates with a PBM. I assume they uh, don't overpay. Uh, and so they're lower premiums. So uh, depends if you're a premium payer but not a consumer of drugs uh, at the moment, you'll probably have higher premiums, and uh -huh. so will the government, actually. Uh, uh, if the rebates are no longer able to be claimed by the PBMs, but if you're a consumer of drugs at the moment, you'll pay less out of pocket. Uh, so um, there's probably uh, the, the consumers of drugs are probably going to be a lot more vocal than the payers of premiums. So uh, this one may turn out to be popular. The problem is we don't really know what's going on. We so don't. The example yeah. of pen, we don't know if they're getting a, a good deal based on the rebates or if they're getting not, not seeing a penny uh, based on them. And that's where the legal issue comes in. Um, 
on its face, the rebates are a violation of the law. Uh, the PBMs are accepting money in return for uh, recommending a product, a, a drug sure. product, yeah. which is, is a, a kind of, of kickback. Um, there is what's called a safe harbor, uh, a set of regulations that says if you do it in a certain way, uh, you are not subject to prosecution under that law. Uh, the safe harbor says, though, that the terms of the rebates have to be disclosed and they have to be passed along to the consumer. And they have not been fully disclosed, and right. they have certainly not been passed along as far as we know. There have been some cases uh, where uh, PBMs and drug companies have lost um, and been found in violation of the law. And if the FDA were to be stricter in enforcing this law, and if the Office of Inspector General of Health and Human Services were to be stricter, that could put a major crimp in the rebate program, yeah. potentially put PBMs out of business. If not, uh, then certainly guarantee that there'd be more savings for the consumers. Really? The potential for, for the pharmacy benefit managers to be out of business? Well, if we put the, the rebate structure, if, right. if, if we said that that was illegal. Right. Um, it would, if it didn't put them out of business, it would certainly uh, crimp what they could do substantially right. uh, and, and uh, circumscribe their uh, ambit of uh, activity. So even if, let's just put this in a perfect world, let's just say that this idea does move on in mm -hmm. some form, uh, to be able to actually see a difference in terms of the cost of, mm -hmm. of prescription drugs, you're probably still talking a couple of years away to be able to oh, to least. really to really start to see something here, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other issue, Mark was making the distinction between who pays the premium, your, your employer, yeah. and and what you do as a patient. Um, for a lot of people, the cost of drugs doesn't make any difference because they have a set copay, yep. uh, and that's not going to change. It doesn't matter if it costs a million dollars; you pay your ten dollars. Yep. Uh, the big problem is with a lot of the specialty drugs mm -hmm. uh, that cost uh, hundreds of thousands, now close to a million dollars for for some drugs a year, yep. where you have a percentage-based copay, and that percentage could could be in the hundreds of thousands. So it's not the same problem for every drug. Uh, it's a different problem depending on the kind of drug and whether it's a brand name or generic. Do we know uh, about what the what the breakdown is in terms of people that are, that are just paying the regular copay and the people that are, that are paying the percentage? I believe that for the specialty drugs, there's a percentage for for most of them, but I'm yeah. not sure how, right. how that. Yeah, breaks it's down. a coinsurance percentage. Well, the the uh, and about I think lately uh, about thirty percent of drug revenues are from specialty drugs, and the biggest uh, uh, set of payers of this co coinsurance are people on Medicare because these drugs. Uh, infused drugs are covered under Medicare Part B, not the Medicare right. Part yeah. D run by private uh, uh, um, drug insurers. That they're, they're, they're on the part covered by traditional Medicare, uh, but traditional Medicare coverage uh, is really not very good uh, yeah. for these things. And so you're responsible for 20 percent uh, for a typical infused uh, cancer drug or uh, um, anti-TNF uh, drug. You, you might owe $2,000. Uh, uh, off of $10,000 for, yeah. for the price of the infusion. And the actually, there's some discussion in the Trump proposal about this. And the worst problem is there's no life, there's no annual cap on that out-of-pocket payment. 
that you owe with Medicare. So that's one reason why I keep teaching. I'm terrified to go on <laughs> Medicare and get this uh, insurance, which is much less good than what dear old Penn makes available well, to me. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, you both touched on it for a second there, but I mean, with with the amount that the government is involved in this right now, should the government have some sort of pricing ability in terms of the drugs that are being used through all of these programs, Mark? Well, so the the private firms that are bar- that are providing um, coverage uh, as PBMs for people uh, under 65 and in Part D for people over 65 do bargain. That's just what we were talking about. And they bargain fairly aggressively, at least. They bargain more aggressively than the CBO first thought when it estimated what the cost of Part D would would turn out to be. Uh, Now, the argument is that the government as a whole buys a much much larger volume. But the important thing to know about bargaining is uh, it's sort of economic chicken. Uh, the buyer says to the seller, if you don't give us a lower price, we're not going to buy your product. And the possibility is that the seller says, okay, I'm not selling you my product. And so the consequence of bargaining inevitably is that some products that might have been available to you under a non-bargaining setting and Medicare rules currently require uh, coverage of of FDA drugs, although they can put some restrictions on them, uh, they're not allowed to bargain uh, even for these um, uh, Part B drugs. Uh, the consequence is you may have a, a a smaller menu of products available to you, but the the individual ones are be at a lower price, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, might as well finish that thought. That's what they do in other countries. They have a. Uh, they don't offer all the drugs that are available in the U.S. Of course, there's a lot of variation across countries anyway. But yeah. some of them that they think are overpriced, they say no, and the citizens of U.K. or Australia don't have access to those products like Americans do. And also, incidentally, for what it's worth, their prices for generic drugs in other countries are typically considerably higher than the price of generic drugs in the U.S. Right. Uh, and we use generics a lot more. So the total price difference in what people spend on drugs is not nearly as large as the comparison of what a particular brand name drug costs in the U.S. compared to other countries. But it's it's still large. It's still we pay more. Rob? So markets work great when there are markets, and markets have to have competition. Yeah. And so if you have generics, uh, you can have a, a competition. If you have uh, similar drugs uh, in the same category, uh, like statins, you can have competition. But if you have a patented drug, then by definition, there's only one. And for a lot of the specialty drugs, it's just too expensive uh, to develop a, a, a similar product or, or mm-hmm. a generic product. Um, so for those, uh, I think there's a much stronger case for the government to intervene and impose some sort of price regulation because you just you can't have a market when there's only one product in the category. It's it's sort of ironic in a way. Uh, the the as Rob mentions, the problem is patents and not only patents but also FDA gives exclusivity sure, yeah. uh, for drugs it approves and even for bio uh, bio biological drugs it gives 12 years of exclusivity longer than is required by a typical patent term. Who and it uses the police power of government to protect that exclusivity. So, in one sense, saying the government ought to force down the prices of yeah. patented products is the government fighting with itself. Uh, it could change. Uh, at least I've advocated th- rethinking the terms of patents well, and that's... FDA exclusivity yeah. uh, to get at the source of the problem rather than 
try to have two wrongs make a right. Well, I, I was wondering if, if, and that was going to be my question, is whether or not we need to look at shortening the patent time that, that these drug makers will have on, on these individual uh, on these individual drugs. Well, that isn't in the administration's proposal, but there are uh, noises, in some cases actual proposals, about allowing for easier entry by generics, quicker entry by generics, right. even though uh, attacking things that uh, the drug companies do to keep generics out by refusing to share samples of their products. If you want to get your generic approved, you have to show it's equivalent to the existing product, and if the seller of the existing product refuses to sell to a generic company you can't get the sure. you can't get the stuff uh, to to run the tests so there so there are some things that can be done to soup up uh, generic competition even with the current patent term but people have made proposals some of which seem com somewhat reasonable for conditioning uh, uh, prices on um, uh, the term of patent. So you could get a longer term of patent if you would charge a lower price. That's a little bit cosmetic. You end up ripping off the public anyway. It just right. takes a little longer <laughs> to do it. But uh, but at least in the short term, it would it would lower the price. Yeah, you can pay me now or you can pay, pay me later. later. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, drug companies are very good at playing games yeah. with, with patents. And yeah. they can yeah. tack on what's technically called exclusivity uh, after the patent for doing certain kinds of tests. Yeah. Uh, for withholding the, the samples from, from the generic company. Um, this could be handled with a lot of enforcement policy. Uh, so it would be similar yes. to uh, the safe harbor for the PBM rebates. Um, uh, I think just more vigorous enforcement could go a long way. Yeah. Um, Trump made a lot of noises towards that end, but we don't know whether that will really happen or not. We are joined here in studio by Mark Pauley of the Wharton School, also Rob Field of Drexel University. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. You know, obviously, when you talk about uh, the, the, the elements of this industry and what goes on in Washington, D.C., seemingly it, it always comes back to how the influence of the drug lobby in mm -hmm. Washington, D.C. plays a role in a lot of what we're talking here. And that's obviously a, a bigger problem on a grand scale, lobbying in general, but with the drug companies as well, the impact that they have in Washington, D.C. Yeah, they spend more on lobbying than any other industry. If you look at healthcare combined, it's many multiples of what any other industry spends on lobbying. Uh, their representatives met with Trump soon after he was inaugurated. Uh, they've been on top of this all the way. And, of course, uh, Friday afternoon after Trump's, uh, Trump's speech, uh, drug company stocks went soaring. I think the one prediction we can make with certain is that this will lead to more contributions by drug companies to <laughs> various politicians yeah. in it, it Washington. Yeah. But in part because this is a populist, there is a fighting the uh, influence of the drug companies, of course, is the populist character of a, of a promise to lower uh, drug prices yeah. regardless. And uh, that, that has obviously a lot of appeal, uh, more so at the moment to Democrats than Republicans. But Trump would, would like to have it both ways and be a, be a populist in that dimension. Uh, the, um, uh, of course, the downside of lowering drug prices is that, uh, as I said earlier, it makes it less profitable to invest in new products. Uh, we 
Um, um, uh, we don't know for sure what the impact would be, but I think you can be certain, despite what some of my colleagues think, that drug companies would invest less in new products yeah. if drug prices were forced down. That doesn't mean it's good or bad. What you need to know is, and what nobody knows, is what are those new products? Would they be the blockbuster with a low chance of success that would cure Alzheimer's or cystic yeah. fibrosis or whatever it might be? Or would it be the next me true drug and who, who the heck cares whether it shows up on the market or not? Uh, but in the meantime, um, again, back to be careful what you wish for, uh, a reduction in the drug companies, of course, will treat uh, any interruption in the flow of new products as sacrosanct and a sacrilege. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there will be some interruption. It's a question of what trade-off we're willing to make as consumers and as citizens, as taxpayers. Yeah. Rob? Uh, the drug companies are sort of in the situation of the boy who cried wolf. Yeah. Um, any restriction, and yeah. they say this is going to hurt innovation, you, yeah. lives will be lost. Um, you, you don't know what miracle drugs won't be developed, and they've been saying this for decades now. And that's kind and, of the great equal equalizer too, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, lives will be lost, but lives are also lost by overpriced drugs right, for exactly. people who yeah, don't yeah. have access to yeah. them. So unfortunately, uh, uh, sometimes I wish I didn't do this for a living, but you know, when you're a health economist, you have to talk about some lives sure. here and yeah. some lives there. So uh, another issue that Trump doesn't really get at, but is a very difficult uh, problem, is drugs with small markets, not necessarily yeah. orphan drugs, but drugs with small markets, yeah. many of which are off patent. So you could have a generic competition but there isn't enough of a market to support more than maybe one company. Sure. And when that company has supply problems or decides it's more profitable to go into a different generic drug, right. then you have uh, price spikes and you have shortages. Uh, and that's a major piece of some of this, particularly for some of the oncology drugs uh, that are expensive to produce but have small markets. Um, I'm not sure how you get to that, but I didn't see anything in Trump's proposal that talks about it at all. 844-942-7866 is the number if you would like to join in with your comments or questions. We're talking about the issues surrounding uh, President Trump's uh, plan to bring forward to try and lower to uh, lower prescription drug prices. Leonard is in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Leonard, go ahead, sir. Yeah, uh, great topic. And obviously it's very complex. You know, if you reduce drug prices, if you reduce pet exclusivity, you just mentioned that might reduce drug R&D. What I'm wondering about, though, is we often hear that drug prices in the U.S. are far higher than the drug companies charge for the same medications in other markets, and possibly because of the way government reimbursements of drugs through Medicare and Medicaid are structured. Can you comment on that? Are there ways, are there problems with the way government reimbursement for uh, drugs in the U.S. drives up or allows a drug manufacturers to charge higher prices in the U.S. than they do for other markets for the same medication? Uh, one piece that Trump had talked about in the campaign that was not in his proposals, reimportation, uh, where you could go to Canada or Europe and buy your drugs at the lower prices and bring them back. Yeah, um, yeah every other uh, developed country has a national uh, health program that, that provides coverage to all or essentially all of its citizens, and every one of those programs uh, negotiates drug prices and uh, sets limits on what patients will have to pay. Uh, we're the only one that doesn't. Yeah, the trade-off is what I mentioned a little bit ago, that, uh, and this is general trade-off in bargaining. If you set a low price uh, and basically say, if you don't sell your product for this price, we won't let you sell 
this product in Australia, mm -hmm. the company may say, well, Australia is a small country. I just won't sell it in Australia, and then Australians won't have access to that drug. We yeah. don't have that problem in the U.S. We have pretty much access to the full range of, of anything because both – it's not just government. It's private insurers uh, also uh, will pay a lot for uh, drugs because uh, the citizens that pay their – premiums for their insurance want to have access to the latest and the greatest. So we, we face a trade-off uh, where we pay more, but in a sense, we have uh, opportunity for more uh, different products. Then you get to the difficult value judgment of, well, but are those additional products really worth that much more Yeah. Uh, without even getting back into, well, if we don't pay for R&D as one of the richest countries, who will? But uh, but uh, that that's a different issue, I think. The the one thing to know, though, is that for the uh, for the the products for which there are substitutes, you can bargain, uh, and that's what other countries right. do. They say, well, and that's actually what they use. They say, well, other countries are paying this much for a product which is pretty close to your product, drug company. Why don't you meet that price? But if it's a breakthrough drug for which there is no close substitute, yeah. then the evidence actually shows that bargaining doesn't really work very well. Yeah. It's, it is a game of chicken. You could have your government say, no, that's a life-saving drug and the only one available for, say, uh, a pancreatic cancer. But we're not going to pay for it because it's too expensive. But they, they, that doesn't really happen either. So we as a country have access to every drug that's out there. But we as individual patients generally do not uh, because of yeah. the negotiating. Our not if, not if we're uh, on private insurance, yeah. For um, Medicare, right. we would. Well, de depending on what kind of plan we have. Yeah. Um, so uh, the, the plans will have formularies which restrict the drugs that they'll pay for. Uh, they'll have increasing copayments for certain categories of drugs. They'll require prior, uh, prior approval mm -hmm. for certain expensive drugs. So we don't necessarily all reap the benefits of having all those drugs available. Great, great question, Leonard. Thank you very much for your call. One of the things we touched on, and I wanted to bring it up here before we uh, went off uh, from the segment, Mark, is something I mentioned to you before we went on the air, is that uh, reporting in terms of the overall cost of drug price increases for 2016 was up about 1.3%. And you had mentioned to me that it was probably going to be a little bit higher in 2017. That's what people think. Yeah, yeah exactly. But in terms of the overall structure, that seems like it's a, it's a relatively palatable number in terms of, of what we could be looking at? Well, at least compared to other kind of healthcare spending. So yeah. the, at least the numbers I keep in my mind are the uh, fraction of total healthcare spending going to prescription drugs. Now, that doesn't include these infused drugs, but prescription drugs has, is about 10% of all overall healthcare spending. So even if you cut the price dramatically, on average, it's still going to be 10 cents on the dollar. Yeah. But, and that's been pretty much stable for the, la for the last uh, 10 years uh, at that rate, which means that the overall spending on drugs is growing at about the same rate as other healthcare spending. The other thing to know is that the people pay out of pocket in total has been stuck at about 45 billion a year for the last 10 years as well because drug not because because drug prices have been rising to some extent, but because drug coverage has actually been increasing. More people got drug coverage. In fact, the big bump in drug spending was in 2014 when a lot of people, especially low-income people, yeah. got coverage through the Affordable Care Act. That was the only place 
time in the last five or six years where they increased a double di- spending increase at double digit rate. So it's not exactly like the sky is falling, or I guess in healthcare, it's not falling any more rapidly in the drug <laughs> sector than in the rest. But but I think people are a lot more conscious of it because even though coverage is now more generous and more universal than it was. Uh, it's still not as good as for other kinds of healthcare services that we buy. And so we see the drug prices when we're standing at the counter at CVS. And as you mentioned to me, and yeah. I've had the same reaction, oh, my God, you want to charge me $30 for that? That's really chump change relative to yeah. the average national healthcare spending of about $8,000 a year. But people see it and then they uh, they react. And um, politicians, uh, and this is a bipartisan failing, I think, both – want to cater to that uh, consciousness. Rob? Yeah. So in in the aggregate, uh, yes, drugs are 10%. If we got rid of all of them, we'd still be spending close to $3 trillion a year on health care. The issue is the individuals who need a specialty drug and um, some of the payers, Medicaid programs, are are facing um, major financial burdens from just Sovaldi, the drug for hepatitis C. Uh, In fact, they're talking about Sovaldi being a major piece of the budgets for some states. Um, So when you look at the specific issues, uh, they can be devastating for patients or, or, or for payers. When you look at the aggregate, we have more coverage, more use of generic drugs and so forth, so it kind of smooths it out, but right. it's, it's like the story of someone with a foot in boiling water and a foot in freezing water, and the average <laughs> is just fine. Um, ask their feet, and they would give you a different story. Great seeing you guys both. Uh, thank you for coming in. Sure. Thank sure. you. Mark Polly from here at the Wharton School, Robert Field from uh, Drexel University, uh, joining us here in studio. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.